for your continued praise and song this morning. We will be uh, reading and singing together Psalm 42. I'll be uh, sharing that psalm with you, and uh, there's a sung response that we encourage you uh, to sing with each refrain. So Darren's going to introduce that to us now. For flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food, day and night. Why people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, 
how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, whom again I shall praise, my help and my God. cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night God's song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I mourn because of the oppression of the enemy? Like a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me. They say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, whom again I shall praise my help, and my God.
Today's scripture lesson comes from John 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, through Jesus, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her 
because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing. Standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Children and children at heart, this week I've been thinking about call-outs. You know, when your name is called out in a variety of ways, such as, hey, David, come on, I want you on my team. Yeah. Or, hey, David, quit goofing around. Go to the principal's office. Oh, brother. Oh, David, sorry, bud. Got to stop playing. It's time for dinner. Or I hope for someday, David, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Come on down. There's lots of great call-outs, but none perhaps as good as the call-out of Lazarus. Lazarus, come out of that tomb. Now, we may have a hard time putting our mind around that kind of call-out. Hard to imagine that ever being real for us or people we know. But I want you to consider a little bit of, of how we die each day. You know, how do we sometimes make choices, dead-end kind of choices that really aren't leading anywhere in our life? And maybe God is saying, David, come out of that. You don't need to be dead to that choice. You need to live. Or how many times do we feel dead emotionally? You know, um, just kind of mopey maybe, discouraged, crushed, nothing can quite boost our spirits. How many times have we been discouraged and can't find that hop in our step again and we hear Jesus calling out again, David, don't die in your feelings that way, have hope, come out of there. 
Or how many times might we be mean to others, trying to get our way by pushing others aside, or creating our own way? And in that way, we might be kind of mm, killing the spirits of others. And Jesus looks at us and says, come on now, come out of that. You don't need to be dead in that way. Come on out and live. So I, I hear Jesus calling to us in many ways, calling out, calling us out to compassion, calling us out to service, calling us out to sacrifice, but even in the sake, like Lazarus, calling us out from ways that we die in order to take on ways that we can live. So th today, um, hear God calling out to you. Call out to someone else with encouragement and hope and, uh, and be that voice of new life for them. There's always some joy in calling out the name of others. We need to hear it, especially nowadays. Thanks be to God. Amen. It was the most amazing end to the ball game. Our team made a winning shot from half court, and the crowd rushed the court. Oh, if only you had been there. Or, oh, honey, your grandmother really loved the card you sent her. We know you're studying abroad and couldn't be here for her birthday party, but, oh, how we just all wished you could have been there. Oh, man, it has been a rough day. I was shopping for a new car. And you know how I am not good with salesmen. They just keep pushing, and I try and make an exit, but he just brings up another bargain or another deal. But you, oh man, you know how to get an ending and get out of there. I wish you had been there to help me out. If only you had been there, that is our phrase that we're reflecting on today. We've been thinking about different phrases that people have been saying to Jesus during this season of Lent. Other phrases such as, if you're the son of God, then you should be, or that's impossible, or sir, you have no bucket, what are you going to do? Or rabbi, whose mistake is this? Who sinned? And today the phrase is, Lord, if you had been there. And I've been wondering if that phrase is going to come back to haunt us, or if we're going to be saying it down the road looking back at this moment now. Lord, if you had been there, fewer lives would have been lost to coronavirus. Lord, if you had been there, my cousins wouldn't be struggling economically right now with their restaurants being closed. Or, Lord, if you had been there, my kids' track meets and my daughter's dance recitals would have happened like scheduled. Or, Lord, if you had been there, all the long-anticipated weddings and gatherings for funerals and times of worship and Easter Sunday would have happened you would have been there. I acknowledge folks are experiencing this season in a lot of ways. Some folks see this as a, a time of revival. So many people are actively engaging in faith. I have seen it in numerous ways online. People sharing devotionals, posting reflections, videotaping Bible readings, making music. The church is alive in so many ways. But others are experiencing this season with feelings of abandonment or isolation, meaninglessness, God-forsakenness, 
I got a prayer request from Christy just yesterday of a, a church member whose husband recently died and who now can't receive visitors and must eat in her room and not in a general space, and she's feeling alone. Talk to me about your experience of the absence of God. This is part of our Christian faith that we take seriously. Sometimes we feel as if we must keep that silent, as if it will uh, irritate, frustrate God, or show that we are not faithful. It's blasphemy to mention that we feel forgotten by God. But there are plenty of uh, verses in the Bible that are direct and blunt about how God doesn't seem to be around. Where are you, God, is asked over and over again in the Psalms. And the prophet Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Why are you silent when the wicked man swallows up the more righteous one? There are countless stories in Scripture that reflect this thought, this inescapable religious experience that God has gone missing. And maybe that was the feeling of uh, Martha and Mary today in this story. Jesus has gone missing. They issued a plea for him to come and be with them in this time of struggle. Their brother was ill and dying, and Jesus was a close friend. I mean, a family friend. They had trusted him. They had supported him. Maybe they've even financially supported his ministry. And they've reached out to him, maybe to, to bring a miracle or maybe just to stand with them, hold them. But when they needed him most, he did not come, at least not right away. But there he comes, strolling down the road four days later. The brother's been dead. The farewells, the bedside prayers have already passed. How would you have reacted to him if you saw him coming, coming down the road, so, so tardy to your invitation? Would you say, oh, better late than never, thanks for coming, or... I don't want to talk right now. The pain is just too deep. Or, dude, where the hell have you been? We meet Martha first, who is balancing this sense of faith and frustration. Right? I, I know, Jesus, that God will listen to you when you pray, but if you'd been here, things would be differently, and maybe we wouldn't need to say that prayer. Or, yes, Lord, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't really want to think about the end of days and eternity. I'm worried about my brother right now. Or, yes, I believe you're God's son, but don't open that tomb. Man, he's been dead for four days. That stinks. Have you been there trying to, trying to hold your faith, but at the same time, even as you speak words of affirmation, they feel a little bit hollow. God will get me through this pandemic, but God, why didn't you just keep the coronavirus out of our lives in the first place? Then we, we get a little snapshot of the crowd, and some of them are angry. Gosh, this guy healed an unknown blind man, and he couldn't be here for his friend. Why didn't he show up? What's wrong with him? And sometimes we hear that bitterness in our voices. God, how long will you allow suffering to continue? How long do we need to stay at home, separated from people? Uh, how long must we go on without work? Or how long is the stock market continuing to crash or what are you doing? Intervene if you love your people. Do you ever react with that sense of frustration? I see Mary as described by despair. She doesn't at first want to see Jesus because she doesn't know what to say to him. Uh, I think she's lost for words in her sadness. 
anguish. You know, ever been in that moment? You just don't want to talk to anyone. Any, any signs of hope, new possibilities, they're just gone. For Mary, hope is lost. When she says, Lord, if you had been here, it's just an acknowledgement of what could have been will never be. It's just over. When have you hoped and yet your strength is just sapped, your optimism, your ability for resolution just fades. So I've been, I've been asking that question, why doesn't Jesus come? Well, I, I know what reasons why I wouldn't come in the midst of someone's hardship. If you think about why we don't show up, sometimes we don't know what to say, we feel inadequate, sometimes we're too busy or we become too preoccupied with other tasks and we simply lose track of time or don't show when someone needs us. Sometimes we can't face the discomfort of going to help because we know maybe there's some conflict, tension around it. If we show up, it would mean confessing we were wrong about something or dealing with some unresolved problem with the people involved. Sometimes we don't show up because we can't handle how much it will hurt us. Seeing a loved one suffer, that pain may just be too much for us emotionally to take, so we just don't want to go. And although Jesus is fully human, I don't get the sense that any of these reasons keep him from going to his friends. He is not preoccupied with other jobs. He's, he's not afraid of adversaries. His disciples are, but he's not. He's not overcome by the moment. He's, he says fairly casually, let's go wake my friend up. So why does he not come when called upon? And he answers the question. He doesn't try to disguise his intentions. Lazarus' illness is not ultimately death. He will give Lazarus life, and in doing so, he'll reveal the character of God. The gift of life will reveal that he and God are working together. And, fourth, the raising of his friend will play a large part in his own journey of death and resurrection. So it sounds like, hey, there's a bigger plan at work here. This whole event is a way for God's glory to be revealed. It's an opportunity for all of us to deepen in our faith in Jesus. Uh, audience, folks here in the sanctuary, can I just be real with you for just a little minute about, about how I've been wrestling with this? And some would say, Pastor, there's some sin in your heart. And, uh, and perhaps so, but I feel like my faith is robust enough that, that God can, uh, can kind of hear my, my frustration with that. Um, so despite how much Jesus loves this family, right? He deliberately doesn't show for them for two days. Sure, he knows how it's going to work out, but Martha and Mary don't know that. And so even though he, he, they agonize, they grieve, you know the pain that they're going through for those days, for those two days, those, that week, they experience that pain, that abandonment. And, but it's okay because it's all for some other plan that we'll see later, right? God's glory will be revealed later on. So that pain doesn't matter. It's okay as long as God is glorified in the end. So as long as it plays a part in Jesus' story arc, it doesn't matter how I feel in this moment. Is that what this is saying? I mean, how are we supposed to communicate that to someone who is suffering? Um, hey, you might feel alone right now, but all this tragedy is okay because there's a bigger picture. Um, I'm aware that I'm limited. I'm a finite human being, and God is God. But, but to say in the midst of pain, ah, but there's a bigger picture 
It just feels hollow. I just am frustrated by that. Um, are we supposed to interpret lives lost or lives interrupted by a coronavirus? Or it's just collateral for a bigger picture. We'll see it later. Um, so there I go. I'm a little frustrated with, with how we interpret that. But any frustration I might have with, with uh, that approach, <laughs> with how Jesus handles it, <laughs> um, is muted when I see Jesus with Mary. She's sobbing her heart out. There's grief so unquenchable that Jesus just brings himself there and doesn't say anything. He doesn't explain himself. He just cries with her. Um, I had the privilege of knowing this, this man. I've known many, but I've known one particular man, a great, great saint in the faith. Uh, before I moved to minister to, to him and his congregation, he met me for lunch. Uh, at Steak and Shake, just to get to know me and hear my story. Um, he was there the first day uh, I came to preach. He unlocked the doors. He did that every week. Uh, he knew everyone's name. He greeted with just this jovial hospitality and, uh, and real passion for the Word of God. Um, he served faithfully until he had a slip that landed him in rehab, and that rehab was a real bear for him, and then he fell again. And... Uh, continued to decline until I, at some point, found myself at his bedside in a hospital where family was gathered and we were praying for our goodbyes with him. And I remember asking the family if they wanted to pray, and his wife said, yeah, let's, we need to pray. And I said, what should we pray for? And they said, so that, you know, let's pray that Richard might go home. And so we prayed. It was a prayer of thanksgiving, but also lament, great grief. And then we just said amen, and then we just cried, you know. Nobody said anything, we just let out tears. And part of me felt a bit guilty, like, Pastor, you're the spiritual representative here, like, hold it together, like, these, these tears are not permissible for you. Um, but that's not right. I mean, this was our story, the family story, my story with them, our story meaning even Christ's story. So when I start to wonder, you know, does our pain not matter? It's just kind of collateral for greater glory. I see Jesus' grief, and that's the admission of, of how much our pain pains Christ. His pain for Lazarus, his pain for Mary and Martha, his pain for us. Thomas Merton said, Jesus is the theology of the Father revealed to us. So when I watch Jesus cry... I think he's moved by sorrow for his friends. But I also think he cries because he, he feels the collective grief of all of us, all humanity, staring down with bitter eyes, disease or disaster, things that come unexpectedly in the night or long, drawn-out conclusions. I think Jesus cries because he knows even though Lazarus will be raised, there will still be more losses because we're in a broken world. He can even see his own loss coming. I mean, in just a few days, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus will carry his body into a tomb just like the one he's looking at. So Jesus knows pain, he knows hurt, and he stands right there in the midst of it. That's the character of God. Christ crumbled on his knees, close and intimate, sharing a tear, trembling, no words. That's God's character.
But I'm thankful this story, like our stories, doesn't end with tears. I'm thankful that this story, and in each of our stories, God's power is revealed, and promises are kept, and life is renewed, and faith is assured, and Jesus is who Jesus says he is. Um, we, claim, we claim to be Easter people, and I'm excited to like, let that out in a couple weeks when we proclaim again, the tomb is empty, Jesus has risen. But even walking as an Easter person, let's be honest, these Lazarus moments, these coming back to life moments, they, they're tough to grapple with, especially when suffering smacks us in the face. We may even rebuke, don't tell me about Lazarus coming back to life because my leg still hurts and my bank account's still empty and my loss still remains. And Jesus would never deny our hurt. But he knows that we have a choice when we're facing that hurt, that despair, that heartache. And we can look at it with disappointment in our eyes, kind of that longing of where is God, what is happening, or try to live through it with Christ, who shows us where we least expect it, something hidden that promises to be stronger than our pain. Jesus lived his whole life with the trust that God's love is stronger than death. And so can we. So, so can we. The way I see it, we each die a little bit every day. Each day wears us down or each day defeats us. It brings us to wrestling like Martha or anger like the crowd or just deep grief like Mary. Each day presents itself with opportunities to persist and discuss, Lord, you've been here. But the one who names himself resurrection and life stands by our side, calls us out of that tomb, that tomb of abandonment, that tomb of agony, that tomb of anger, that tomb of hopelessness, that tomb of defeat. He's calling us to take off death rags, anything that shows that we are still clinging to endings, sour endings, and instead calls us to walk out unencumbered and take hold of spirit-driven beginnings. I like to envision a, a, a post scene where Martha and Mary are gathered around people in town. Lazarus has risen, and they're talking to their neighbors, and they're talking about their feelings. Man, we struggled. This, man, we felt that loss, that pain we went through. But then Jesus came to us and cried with us, and, and then he gave us a way to see that we didn't need to remain in our own coffins, that, that we could indeed trust him, and in doing so, he would show us light and life. Oh, man, it was amazing to have him there with us in that time of pain and to show us hope. Oh, if only you had been there, you wouldn't believe what Jesus did. And I hope we respond, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can believe. I can believe. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd tried. Were you otherwise occupied? 
you're hiding, biding your time. For what? A deeper challenge? A grander entrance? A brighter glory? A better story? The nick of time is a good story. That would do. Eleventh hour, you'd come through. Midnight, you were due. Now it's half past two. Where were you? If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You were meant to ride in on the white horse, enter the fray, the dragon slay, save the day. Did you hear us pray? Did you want it this way? If you'd been here to stop him dying, why are you crying? You're meant to be death-defying. Why are you sighing at the tomb, decrying mortal ruin? Why in God's name are you queuing for the same? You're commander-in-chief. We demanded relief. Now you landed beneath all our sorrows and grief. Now it's you on your knees, empty-handed, bequeathing as none of our pleas. Is this what you chose? To bring only tears? We got plenty of those. Why are you here? You say to draw near. And then to sink like a stone past the brink of the chasm we desperately fear. In darkness enfolded our terrors you shouldered while pierced by the nails and the spear. You have been here. You've stooped far below all depths that we know. Engulfed in our weeping and woe. Submerged in the grave, then risen to save, upending assumptions we'd made. See, if you had been here the way that we prayed, we'd only succeed in death delayed. We'd only evade the reaper for now, but soon we would bow. Soon we'd be plowed in the ground with no one to plead. Yet, through you, death's a gardener, and we are the seed. And this is the path resurrection decreed. If you will be here, drawing near, that will do. For now, to know you in your grace, we can face what is true. As in Adam, the world dies. So in Christ, all will rise. When you appear, my brother too, you wipe away tears, when darkness clears, when morning has cheered, when joy swallows fear, here's how we'll cope. This our true hope. You will be here. come to a time of prayer today, uh, realizing some of you are worshiping with us online, as you, as you feel comfortable sharing, knowing that other people will see, I encourage you to, to share some of your prayer requests, some of your prayer needs with your church family. Just write them in the comments there so that others in the congregation may know ways they can pray for you. Again, know that they, are, they will be become public that way, but we want to be able to connect with each other and share both our joys and our concerns. Let us, uh, let us pray for one another. Beloved, O oh God, how are we to pray in times like these? 
in times like these when country after country impose strict stay-at-home orders, when schools and restaurants and businesses are closed, when what we do to relax and let go of tension, when the ways we come together to celebrate birthdays and weddings and graduations, when what we rely on to grieve and reassure and comfort one another, when these have all been closed, when life seems to be increasingly put on hold while we shelter in place, how are we to pray? We breathe. Christ, have mercy. How are we to pray when fear starts to consume us? When we can't shake our worries about our safety or the safety of people we love? When we're reminded of all the risks taken by healthcare workers or grocery clerks or delivery people or emergency service providers? How are we to pray, Lord? We breathe. And we say, Christ, have mercy. How are we to pray when the number of illnesses and deaths keeps rising? When these stop being anonymous numbers and start being stories about real people, people that we know, or the doctor in China who first recognized and spoke out about the epidemic, or the priest in Italy who gave up his respirator so someone else might live, or the nursing home residents in Spain who died alone after being abandoned by their caregivers, or the first teenager who died in the United States, how are we to pray? We breathe. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. How are we to pray when there are still those who believe that this is just all a false conspiracy, how are we to pray when there are still religious leaders who endanger those who are pledged to their care by insisting they have worship together? How are we to pray when there are still some leaders who deny the seriousness of this situation? How do we pray when there are places that are putting you know, elections off for the sake of safety, which only leads to Dictators, totalitarian governments continuing to lead for longer. How are we to pray, Lord? We, we breathe and we say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. How are we to pray this morning? When our lives just feel so overwhelmed that we can barely take in other things that are going on. There was an earthquake this week in Kurosha. There are continuing to be people who live in poverty. There are continuing to be people who, who don't know where they're headed in life or who don't know you, know your story, know your name. How are we to pray when so much else is going on, good and bad, that merits praise and prayer, but right now we just don't have the energy to focus on it. Lord, help us to breathe and to say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. How are we to pray when we remember that you are always with us? 
that you are full of mercy no matter whether we're angry or frustrated or fearful or full of joy. When we believe that love will not be canceled, songs will not be canceled, hope will not be canceled. When we trust that your love for us will always defeat suffering and death. How are we to pray? We breathe in, we breathe out. Lord, you are full of mercy. Christ, you are full of mercy. Thanks be to God. Pray with me now as we pray as the Son taught us in times of need. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, uh, I'd like to encourage you all to continue supporting our ministries here at UHUMC by, uh, by visiting UHUMC.com and uh, giving us your donations there. Um, we're going to present one of, our, one of our new pieces to you today as our musical offering, and I just invite you to pray with us over this text from, taken from Psalm 51. Create in me a
Thank you, Lord God, for the gifts that you bestow upon us, that we might realize the bounty that we have. Help us to rejoice in the simple gift of presence, strong gift of your love, the resources that sustain, the calling that moves, the promise that we might live. We return our lives to you, multiply the gifts that we offer to make a difference in your world that others may come to know you and the life that you offer. We pray in your son's holy name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we close worship today, we'll be singing, We Walk by Faith. connect we've got a couple bible studies that are online thursday morning men tuesday evening bible study we can get you connected to those if you're feeling more and more comfortable with your computer um, if you like laughing at me i'm on two o'clock mondays wednesdays and fridays on facebook 
And so I'd love to see you online and uh, commenting as I offer a, a, a midday meditation. Uh, blessings to you. Uh, remain encouraged. Stay healthy. And, uh, and continue to hear Christ calling you out from places of death into places of hope and new life. Know that he is standing with us in this struggle. Thanks be to God. Amen.